Hello my friends, this is Nikki. Welcome to episode 59 of Learning About the Lord. Today we will be reading from Maria Valtorta's Poem of the Man-God, Volume 1. Jesus is at Capernaum. He is on the shore of the lake sitting in Peter's boat. He is surrounded by people who welcome him and ask him many questions. Also the arch-synagogue comes. Jesus gets up to greet him. Master, may I expect you to come and teach the people? he asks. Of course, says the Lord, if you and the people wish so. We have been wishing it for so long, says the arch-synagogue. They can tell you, and the people in fact shout their confirmation. Well then, says Jesus, I will be with you this evening. Now you may go. I have to go to see a person who wants me. The boat sails for a short distance, and then the two fishermen, Peter and Andrew, steer it into a small bay between two low hills. Where is she? asks Jesus. She must be hiding in the wood, says Peter, after hearing voices. Call her, says Jesus. Peter shouts out loud, I am the disciple of the rabbi of Capernaum. The rabbi is here. Come out. There is no sign of life. She does not feel safe, explains Andrew. One day someone called her and said, Come, there is some food for you. And then they threw stones at her. We saw her then for the first time, because I did not remember her when she was the beauty of Chorazim. And what did you do then? asks the Lord. We threw her a loaf of bread and some fish and a rag, a piece of old sailcloth with which we used to dry ourselves, because she was nude. We then ran away, not to be contaminated, says Andrew. And what made you come back? asks the Lord. And Andrew answers, Master, you were away, and we were thinking what we should do to get people to know you. We thought of all the sick people, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and also of her. We said, let us try. You know, many said we were mad and would not listen to us. Others instead believed us. I spoke to her myself. I came here by boat, all by myself, for several moonlit nights. I used to call her and say to her, On the stone, at the foot of the olive tree, there is some bread and fish. Don't be afraid. Come. And I would then go away. She must have waited until she saw me disappear before she came, because I never saw her. The sixth time I saw her standing on the shore, exactly where you are now, she was waiting for me. How horrible she was. I did not run away because I thought of you. She said to me, Who are you? Why have mercy on me? And I replied, Because I am the disciple of mercy. And who is he? she asked. He is Jesus of Galilee, says Andrew. And does he teach you to have mercy on us? she asked. On everybody, answers Andrew. But do you know who I am? she asks. And Andrew said, You are the beauty of Chorazim, now a leper. And is there mercy also for me? she asked. And Andrew answers, Jesus says that his mercy is for everybody, and we, to be like him, must have mercy on everybody. At this point, Master, the leper blasphemed without realizing what she was saying. She said, he must have been a big sinner himself. And I said to her, No, 
He is the Messiah, the holy man of God. I wanted to say to her, Be you accursed for your tongue, but I did not say anything else, because I thought, in her distress, she cannot think of divine mercy. She then started crying and said, Oh, if he is a holy man, he cannot have mercy on the beauty of Chorazim. He might pity the leper, but not the beauty. And I was hoping. And I asked her, What were you hoping for, woman? And she answered, To be cured, to go back into the world amongst men, to die begging, but amongst people, not like a beast in the den of wild beasts, which are horrified at the sight of me. And I said to her, Will you swear to me that if you go back to the world you will be honest? And she replied, Yes, God has justly punished me for my sins. I now repent. My soul is expiating its sins, but it abhors sin forever. And then Andrew says, I thought I could then promise her salvation in your name. She said to me, Come back, come back again. Speak to me of Jesus, that my soul may know him before my eyes see him. And I came and spoke to her of you as best as I could, says Andrew. And the Lord says, And I have come to grant salvation to the first convert of my Andrew. The beauty of Chorazim at last shows her horrid face among the branches of an olive tree. She sees and shouts, Come down, then, exclaims Peter. I am not going to stone you. Over there, can you see him? There is the rabbi Jesus. The woman tumbles down the slope, and she reaches Jesus' feet, and she says, Mercy, Lord. And Jesus answers, Can you believe that I am able to grant you mercy? And the beauty of Chorazim says, Yes, because you are a saint, and I repent. I am sin, but you are mercy. Your disciple was the first to have mercy on me, and he brought me bread and faith. Cleanse me, Lord, my soul before my body, because I am impure three times, and if you want to give me one purity, only one, I beg you to give me the purity of my sinful soul. Before hearing your words that he repeated to me, I used to say, Oh, to be cured and to go back amongst people. But now that I know, I say, to be forgiven, that I may have eternal life. And the Lord says, And I grant you forgiveness, but nothing else. May you be blessed, she shouts. I shall live in my den with the peace of God, free, oh, free from remorse and free from fear, no longer afraid of God now that you have absolved me. So I want you to notice here that after being preached to by Andrew and coming to understand the Lord's mercy, the beauty of Chorazim realizes that it's her soul that is of the utmost importance and that if she can have only one miracle, she prays that her soul be cleansed, that her soul be forgiven by God, that she may have eternal life. That is more important to her than to be cured in the body of her leprosy in order to go back to live among people. And Jesus says to her, Go into the lake and wash yourself. Stay in until I call you. The woman, reduced to a miserable skeleton, all corroded, 
her white coarse hair all ruffled, gets up from the ground and goes into the lake, clothed in her meager rags that cover so little of her. And then Peter asks, Why did you send her to wash herself? It is true that the foul smell is infective, but I do not understand. And Jesus says, Woman, come out of the water and come here. Take that cloth on that branch. The woman comes out obediently, completely naked, as she left her rags in the water to take the dry piece of cloth. The first to shout is Peter, who is looking at her, whilst Andrew, more bashful, is turning his back on her. But he turns around when his brother shouts, and he shouts too. The woman who is staring at Jesus so intently that she is aware of nothing else, when she hears the shouts and sees the hands pointed at her, looks at herself, and she sees that her leprosy has been left in the lake with her rags. She does not run as one might expect her to. She throws herself down, crouching on the shore, ashamed of her nakedness, excited to such an extent that she is only fit to weep with a long, feeble lament, which is more heart-rending than any cry. Jesus moves towards her. He reaches her. He throws the cloth on her, caresses her head very lightly, and says to her, Goodbye. Be good. You deserved the grace because of the sincerity of your repentance. Grow in the faith of Christ and fulfill the purification law. So here we see how Jesus is very merciful to those who have true contrition for their sin, truly ashamed of their sin, truly expiate and repent of their sin, and humbly beg God's forgiveness for their sin, and ask to be cured and healed. The woman is weeping all the time. She looks up, stretches out her hands and shouts, Thanks, my Lord! Thanks, blessed Lord! Oh, blessed, blessed! Jesus waves her goodbye before the boat disappears around the rocky promontory of the little fjord. Later on in the same day, Jesus, with his disciples, goes into the synagogue at Capernaum. Just on the threshold of the synagogue door, I see Matthew, the future apostle. He is standing there half inside, half outside, and I do not know whether he is shy or is annoyed at all the meaningful glances cast at him and at some rather unpleasant raillery of which he is the object. Two richly dressed Pharisees gather their wide mantles affectedly, as if they were afraid of being infected by the plague if they touched Matthew's tunic even slightly. When Jesus is going in, he stares at Matthew and stops for a moment, but Matthew lowers his head. As soon as they are inside, Peter whispers to Jesus, Do you know who that curly-headed man is, the one who is more scented than a woman? He is Matthew, our tax collector. What has he come here for? It's the first time. Perhaps he did not find his mates, and above all his women, with whom he spends the Sabbaths, squandering in orgies the doubled and troubled taxes he squeezes out of us to have plenty for the revenue and his vices. Jesus looks at Peter so severely that Peter becomes as red as a poppy, lowers his head and stops so that he ends up at the rear in the apostolic group. Jesus has reached his place. 
After some songs and prayers said with the people, he turns around to speak. And he begins, The great king of Israel, David of Bethlehem, after committing his sin, cried with a penitent heart, shouting to God his repentance and asking God's forgiveness. David's soul had been darkened by the fog of sensuality, which prevented him from seeing the face of God and understanding his word. So here we can see how David was similar to the beauty of Chorazim, how his heart was darkened after committing his sin, but then he repented and with his penitent heart he shouted to God, His face, I said, says the Lord. In the heart of man there is a spot which remembers the face of God, the most noble spot, which is our sancta sanctorum from which holy inspirations and decisions originate. The point that is scented like an altar shines like a fire and sings like a chorus of seraphim. But when sin rages in us, that area grows so dark that light, perfume, and singing fade out, and only the stench of thick smoke and the taste of ashes are left. But when light comes back, because a servant of God brings it to the dimmed man, he then sees his own ugliness, his inferior condition, and struck with horror he exclaims like King David, Have mercy on me, Lord, in your goodness, in your great tenderness, wipe away my faults. And he does not say, I cannot be forgiven, I will therefore go on sinning. That would be pride. But he does say, I am humiliated, and contrite. But I beg you, you know that I was born guilty, but wash me and purify me, that I may become as white as the snow on mountain tops. He also says, My holocaust will not consist of rams and bulls, but of the true contrition of my heart, because I know that this is what you want from us, and you do not scorn it. That is what David said after his sin, after the servant of God Nathan made him repent. That is what sinners must say, even more so now that the Lord has sent not a servant, but the Redeemer himself, his word, who as a just ruler, not only of men, but also of celestial and infernal beings, has risen amongst his people like the light at dawn, which at sunrise shines in a cloudless sky. You have already read how a man a prey to Satan is weaker than a person dying of tuberculosis, even if before he was the strong one. You know how Samson was worthless after yielding himself up to sensuality. I want you to understand the lesson of Samson, the son of Manoah, destined to beat the Philistines, the oppressors of Israel. The first condition to be such was that from his conception he was to be kept virgin from everything that stirs up base sensations and contaminates the intestines with impure foodstuffs, such as wine, cider, fat meats, which kindle the loins with an impure fire. The second condition for him to be the deliverer was for him to be sacred to the Lord from his childhood and was to remain such by uninterrupted Nazarite. He is sacred who remains holy not only externally, but also internally. Then God is with him. But the flesh is flesh, and Satan is temptation. 
and temptation to fight God in the hearts of men and in his holy decrees uses as a weapon the flesh that excites men, woman. The strength of the strong man then quivers and he becomes a weakling that spoils the gift of God. One must not tempt God, not even in his goodness. It is not lawful. He forgives, he always forgives. But he exacts the firm will to abandon sin that he may continue to forgive. The person who says, Lord, forgive, but does not shun what induces him to continual sin is foolish. Samson did not avoid Delilah. Sensuality, sin, and being bored to death, and having lost heart, he revealed his secret to her. He told her, My strength is in my seven plates. Is there anyone amongst you who, tired of the great tiredness of sin, is losing heart, because nothing is so depressing as a bad conscience, and is about to surrender to the enemy? No, whoever you are, do not do it. Samson revealed to temptation the secret to defeat his seven virtues, the seven symbolical plates, his virtues, that is, his faithfulness to Nazarite. Tired as he was, he fell asleep in the lap of the woman and was defeated. Samson was blind, a slave, powerless, because he had not been faithful to his vow. Neither did he become again the strong man, the deliverer, until he found his strength again in the grief of repentance. Repentance, patience, perseverance, heroism, and then, O sinners, I promise you will be your own deliverers. I solemnly tell you that no baptism, no right is of any avail if there is no repentance and will to forego sin. And I tell you that no one is so big a sinner that he cannot revive with his tears the virtues which sin had torn from his heart. Today, a guilty woman of Israel, punished by God for her sins, received mercy on account of her repentance. I said mercy. Those who had no mercy on her and treated the punished woman pitilessly shall receive less mercy. Had they no guilty leprosy in their hearts? Let everybody examine himself, and have mercy to receive mercy. I hold my hand out on behalf of this repentant woman who is coming back to the living after a segregation of death. Simon Peter, not I, will collect the offerings for the repentant woman who from the threshold of life is coming back to true life. And do not grumble, you older people, do not grumble. I was not here when she was the beauty of Chorazim, but you were. I will say no more. Are you accusing us of being her lovers? asks one of the two resentful old men. And Jesus says, Let everyone have his heart and his actions before him. I do not accuse. I am speaking in the name of justice. So Jesus shows the example of Samson and of David to illustrate the same kind of sinful life and sinful behavior that the beauty of Chorazim experienced and how only in true repentance and true contrition for sin was she able and were they able to expiate their sins and be forgiven by God.
He says no one, no one is unforgivable if they are truly repentant. It's only pride that keeps people from repenting. They say, well, God can never forgive me for what I did. But they are being prideful. They are making up God's mind for him. And who can do that? We are only humans. We are not God. We cannot think as God thinks. But God reassures us by telling us, whatever your sin, be truly repentant, expiate, come to me and ask for mercy and I will grant it to you. How lucky are we to have such a merciful and loving God who loves us, forgives us again and again and takes such good care of us. Thank you again for joining me for episode 59 of Learning About the Lord. I ask the Lord to bless you all. Go with God.